We're going to start at the end of the Old Testament this afternoon. We're going to start in Malachi in chapter 3. The last book in the Old Testament, Malachi and chapter 3. And just a couple of verses here, verse 16, we'll start. And of course, uh, this particular chapter is talking of the time of the end, talking about uh, the coming of Jesus Christ, the judgment of the wicked and uh, the blessings of the good and the coming of uh, Elijah that was to come. Jesus uh, spoke of the fact that this was John the Baptist who was coming to prepare the way of the Lord. And it's talking here particularly in the verse I want to look at about those that are the saints of God. And we read here in verse 16 of chapter 3, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And here we're talking about the Lamb's book of life. When uh, you're born again, the Bible says your names are recorded in God's special book. It's called a book of remembrance or the book of life here. And it's talking about people that are are really in a state of fellowship one with another uh, in the Lord. And it goes on to say in verse 17, And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. And ye shall return uh, and uh, discern between righteousness and uh, the wicked and between him that serveth God and him that serveth not. And so it's talking here about those that are the chosen ones are very precious before God. And it says, In that day when I shall make up my jewels. It actually means that to God, those that are baptized and filled with his Holy Spirit and those that are walking in the ways of the Lord with the name in the book of life and uh, keep it in the book of life, uh, that they're a special treasure under God. And God values this group of people, of which, of course, he's talking about the church. The church to God is precious. And when we talk of the church of God, we're not talking of a building. We're talking about people that are born again, coming together as one and making up the building of God. But it also talks about that ultimately when the the Lord spares us, when the world is destroyed, that we're going to return down to the earth when we meet Jesus in the air and we come back down to the earth. And we're going to, of course, understand the difference between what God sees as righteous and what God sees as wicked, between the person that serves God and them that do not serve God. And as we often hear in testimonies, that God is there and he's willing to come into people's lives when they are ready to invite him in. God doesn't force his will upon anyone, as we know in in the situation of the scriptures, that God is given an opportunity. Like as her sister said, she was uh, um, not wanting to know God really, but then the word of God moved upon her. And she felt the calling of God and she responded. And then later, a brother was moved by the word of God and he came and he received and became part of this wonderful church of God. In other words, part of this very special treasure that belongs to God. So that's with that thought in mind. And remember, of course, too, I should have mentioned that in the book of Psalms, that to God, not just the testament 
the New Testament church as his treasure. But in the Old Testament time, it says Israel was his special treasure because God dealt in the Old Testament with a nation of people called Israel. Now he deals with people that are of all nations and they are in the special treasure of the church. Let's have a look over to the next book, to the book of Matthew in chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, and uh, we're going to read in verse 44. And we read here in verse 44, And again the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, that when a man is found he hideth, and for the joy that goeth uh, thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and he buyeth that field. Now, the Lord talks about a treasure and he talks about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven and they're interchangeable terms. But he's talking about the treasure that is hidden. And he says that how that here is one that goes into a field and he finds something of great value. Maybe it's a piece of gold, a gold nugget, or maybe it's something different to that. And so he, he hides it back somewhere in that same field and he knew that to have that treasure he needed to own the field and so he goes and he buys the field and then he possesses all the treasure that's in that field so that's what the kingdom of God is like and then again in verse 46 heaven we read the kingdom of heaven is uh, referred to as another way it says uh, 46 uh, who when he had found one pearl of great price he went and he sold all that he had and he bought it. So it just uses different illustrations here of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven and uh, how that uh, uh, he wants to try and bring out some points. And uh, some time ago we looked at these thoughts and it's many years I thought we'd have a look again and that is particularly at verse 46 when he who found one pearl of great price and in uh, the, the, the margin or in the verse before it says that again the kingdom of heaven is unto a merchant man who is seeking goodly pearls who when he had found one pearl of great price he went and he sold all that he had and bought it like the one that finds the treasure in the field that uh, then goes and hides it and comes back and buys the whole field and the treasure belongs to him as well now in this particular case, as we're going to dwell a little bit more about the pearl of great price, we find that uh, the merchant man is seeking goodly pearls. The merchant man is uh, uh, seeking for precious pearls. And in actual fact, uh, when we look at it, the merchant man that is seeking the precious pearls is none other than God himself. God is seeking. He's the merchant man. And he's seeking for those that will listen to his word. And uh, he wants fine and precious pearls because God is wanting to find those that are worthy to be brought, brought into the kingdom of God. But we also read there that there was a price to be paid for this. Like selling all that one had and possessing the field, it tells us here that he found one pearl of great price. And when he had seen that, he sold everything he possessed, all that he had he sold, that he might possess it. And of course, the price that God, the merchant man, is paying for that pearl of great price, he's actually buying the kingdom of God. 
And here we see that to obtain the one pearl of great price, he sold all that he had that he might obtain it. And of course, all that God had that was worth more than any other money that people could bring together was the precious Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so God sold all that he had, his Son, that he might possess the kingdom, as the Bible tells us. In other words, we know that Jesus died for the individual, and that individual is a pearl for God. And coming together as an entirety, there is the entering into the church. And so there is Jesus dying for the individual and for the entire church of the born-again saints that make up the kingdom of God. And if we look at the pearl itself, it comes from a a Greek word, which is uh, margarites. And the pearl itself is a a single entity, if we have a look at the pearl. It's one of the most valuable of all gems that you could possess. And ladies like to have a very nice string of pearls. And in actual fact, a top-quality pearl ranks in value with other precious stones like diamonds and rubies and sapphires. A precious pearl is especially valuable, especially if it is a large pearl and is perfectly formed or shaped. It has very, very great value to the one that values these things. And of course, it's the unblemished pearl, which is one of the most ancient symbols of perfection. If you look back into history, a large unblemished pearl is an ancient symbol of perfection. And of course, what we're seeing here is that we become a precious pearl for God and the pearl of great price, the church, also becomes part of the welfare and the provision that God gave us through Jesus Christ, his son, the price that he paid. If we have a look at natural gems, as we would call them, the mineral gems, things like, as we mentioned, rubies and sapphires and diamonds, they're hard. And they sometimes even do reflect the light, particularly if you've got a craftsman that can get hold of a a, a gem and is able to work on the facets of the various edges that can cause the light to, to reflect out from that particular gem. But in actual fact, the pearl is different to all other gems. If we look at the natural side of the pearl, it is the only gem that is made by a living process. The other is chemicals coming together and being compressed over a period of time, and they're dead in that regard. But in the case of the natural pearl, it is actually something that is living. It is actually soft by comparison as we mentioned to the hard gems but it has this unique property about it that no other gem has a pearl absorbs in the light and then reflects out the light other gems as we said reflect the light but in the case of a precious pearl it actually absorbs and then reflects the light and the pearl itself if we look at the background to it and a bit of Understanding of a pearl and how it's made, it starts by a little seed that is inside an oyster shell. And that little seed can be just a grain of sand, a tiny little grain of sand, or sometimes they're found in the centre of them, a very tiny little parasite. And uh, from that seed, 
we find that the oyster shell starts to cover that seed with layers and layers and layers of a special substance which is called nacre. And a nacre is living cells. And the living cells are in successive circular layers that build from the inside and as the particular pearl is getting larger, of course, more is placed on the outside of that particular seed. And so eventually it comes to the point where it's large enough and it's formed and it is a pearl that is a living gem. And that's how it is when it's harvested from the seed. Uh, the seed. It's a living gem. In actual fact, not all oysters produce pearls and not all pearls in oysters are of great value. It is only those special sea oysters that uh, produce the highly coloured nacre of the layers around the seed. Invariably, it's referred to as those that produce the mother of pearl in the shells. You can actually get uh, other oysters that are just uh, white or dull inside the, the, the oyster itself, and even though they might produce a pearl, it really is lacking in, in luster and it doesn't really have any great value. And of course today, as man is able to see what God has done in the creation, uh, you can either get natural pearls or you can get cultured pearls. And uh, pearls that are natural or cultured, in actual fact, are made ex exactly the same way. What they actually do is that they get hold of a, a little piece of, in the case of cultured pearls, they use what is called uh, the mother of pearl, little tiny piece of mother of pearl shell, and then they put that inside the oyster and then they grow it in these wire cages until it's ready to be harvested. And in actual fact, it's so much the same as the original natural pearl that the only way it can be uh, found out to which one it is is by laboratory examination by a specialist that does this. And so you've got the cultured pearl with this little seed uh, that grows up into a special pearl put into this special oyster or you've got the natural one that occurs in special oysters. The man that discovered the process of cultured pearls was a, a little Japanese man and his name was Mikimoto and you've possibly heard of Mikimoto pearls. They're world famous because this man discovered a process and it takes about seven years from the planting of that little bit of seed inside the oyster before that it eventually produces a pearl that's large enough uh, to be of great value. In actual fact, though, even so, it's considered that only one in 20 are really valuable. It's a bit like uh, people coming to hear the gospel message, the word of God, and the Bible says that many are called, but few are chosen. So many are called, but very few have great value in the eyes of God because most reject the things that God has asked them to do through Jesus Christ. And they don't want to have him to be part of their life. When Jesus Christ comes, came to the earth 2,000 years ago, all fulfilling Bible prophecy, they just said, we don't want this man to rule over us. And uh, this is again the way of man. Many are called, but few are chosen. And so we want to have a look too at some of the spiritual parallels uh, that we can demonstrate in the story of the pearl. We've talked about how a pearl's made and 
naturally and, uh, and in, the, in that case of culturing a pearl. But we've got to start somewhere when we want to look at a spiritual pearl, an individual that is of great value to God. Let's start with the seed and have a look over into Luke in chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Just the one verse here, we're going to do it mainly for time, but in chapter 8 and verse 11. Here is another parable that God uses about the kingdom of God when he talks about the seed that is grown on different types of ground and ultimately that which is shown into the good ground, that seed brings forth much fruit. Now we see here the beginning is the seed and in verse 11, now the parable is this, that the seed is the word of God. And so that's the seed that needs to be sown in our lives to become a precious pearl for God. And so the seed that needs to be sown is God's word. Without God's word, we can be nothing. The spirit of God comes into our life and we become everything. And the word of God is a precious thing. In fact, if we look at the coronation of the monarchs that sit upon the throne in England, the Queen Elizabeth herself back there in 1953. One of the first things that happened when she sat on the coronation seat was that she was given on King Edward's chair a Bible. And the Archbishop of Canterbury said to her at that particular time with this book and said, this book is the most valuable thing that this world affords. That this is the royal law And these are the lively oracles or words of God. And so the very first thing that happened as the queen was put into her position was she's presented with the most valuable thing, the word of God, as the seed that should be the very basis of her faith and her belief and of all the people in her kingdom. The principle's right because as we saw a moment ago there is that the seed is the word of God. But like everything else, it's what you do with it. Even if you hear the word of God, as this parable of the sower and the seed, sometimes it goes into stony ground and it's got no depth and it starts to grow a little bit and then withers and it dies, all through the various parallels until ultimately some goes into the good ground. Many are called, but few are chosen. Let's have a look over to what happens next once the seed of God is sown. Romans in chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. We'll start in verse 10. Chapter 8. Romans and verse 10 and if Christ be in you the body is dead because of sin but the spirit is life because of righteousness but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you he that raised up Jesus or Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies bring to life your mortal bodies 
by his spirit that dwelleth in you. And so the spirit is dead. The word of God, the seed, comes into your life. And then the Holy Spirit brings the new life. Like that seed, and now the the layers of nature are starting to develop. And it's a bit like that when we first come along and we hear the word of God and we can see that it's true. It takes a while for the layers to get to the point where we're of any great value, isn't it? We don't know very much in the beginning. We're a babe in Christ. We need the sincere milk of the word whereby we may grow. And so we allow the word of God to have an influence in our life and providing that we keep on partaking of that food of God, the word of God too, then we'll grow and grow and we'll grow and we'll build the special layers by the spirit upon the seed of the word that's in our life. In verse 16 of the same chapter, the spirit beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We are the children of God because of the Holy Spirit that we've received. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we now can cry out, Abba, Father, or Father, or Father. We have the witness of God's Spirit in our life. And it says the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, that we now have the special covering of God in our life and so we see that covered by God's spirit we're brought to life we become sons and daughters of the living God and to God we start to become a living gem let's go over to chapter 60 and bring in another aspect of the layer the spirit that's to come into our life Isaiah chapter 60 in verse 1 Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 1. We read, Arise and shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. And so it's like we read in the Amplified Bible that we need to be enlightened by the light coming into our life and it's like it also tells us in the New Testament that once we're filled with the Holy Spirit and we're brought to life by the seed and then the layers of the Holy Spirit being in our life that we shine as lights in this crooked and in this perverse world we start to absorb in the light of God And we start to reflect out the light of God by our testimony and by our actions and by our faith and by our testimony of what God can really shine forth from us. We shine as lights in a crooked and a perverse world. We also see a little bit more about this if we go back over to the New Testament, to the first uh, epistle of John, 1 John and chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Let's have a look in chapter 1 and verse 5. It says, So then, this then is the message of 
which we've heard of him of which uh, we declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all so if you've received the light of the gospel in your life there's no darkness in that if we receive the Holy Spirit we receive God and what is God? God is light and his spirit encompasses us and looks after us and cares for us and we read on in verse 6 and if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness we do lie and we do not the truth if we say that we've been baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit and we decide to walk contrary to God we're not allowing the layers of the naked to absorb and reflect the light in our life but rather we tarnish the light we tarnish that which is God has started in our life and it says we lie and we do not the truth and verse 7 says but if we walk in the light as he is in the light if we walk in the light means if we reflect the light of God as he is in the light because he is the light then we have a fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sins takes away all impurities in our life if we walk in the light as Jesus Christ and God is the light of our life it's a wonderful little thought there that God is light and we're to walk in the light of the gospel we are to absorb and we're to reflect the light as a precious pearl because that's what we are to God the kingdom of God is like unto a pearl of great price so we've got to let our light shine before men that people can see what we've received it's like we read in the scriptures don't let your light be hidden under a bed or under something else but rather the scriptures tell us to to take your light and in that sense put it up on the hill and let the light from the top of the hill radiate to all those that are in darkness below us so that they can see the light and they can come to the light out of the darkness and that's what the Lord wants he wants that special pearl to be full of luster to shine the light forth and when we talk about a natural pearl we could say well look that was in the beginning and some of us maybe were for the stock of Israel and that's how that we became from the word of God being sown a part of this precious pearl we could be cultured because we were Gentiles unbelievers didn't know God didn't understand God in the proper sense but we we're all made by that same process as the word is sown the seed and of course the Holy Spirit the light of the gospel starts to shine in our life in other words is it like the scriptures say whether we're a Jew or whether we're Gentile whether we're a bond person or a free person we're all made to partake or receive of one spirit God's special nature that comes into our life and like I mentioned that when they look at the pearl they found that there are layers that are concentric complete circles that cover the surface then another circle another circle and another circle and the tiny crystals in there that, that reflect the light they actually are called argonite an argonite overlaps and breaks up any light into little rainbows of colours and in the natural pool that 
iridescence and the breaking up of the light is called uh, um, orient. The reflected luster is called the orient of the pearl. We also know that the pearls come in different colours. You can get pink pearls, you can get gold and cream and black and white. And even the black are of tremendous great value. And it's a little bit like us, isn't it? People of all nations. Jew or Gentile, all made to partake of that one Holy Spirit. But sometimes they get a little pearl out and they look at it and instead of being perfect, it's got little flaws in it or little blemishes in the surface of the particular pearl. And of course, these flaws of blemishes really do take down the value of the pearl because only those without blemish uh, or those with a small blemish are of any great value to the merchant man. And of course, if those blemishes are only shallow and not very deep, they actually have people that are specially trained men to remove the blemish. And they actually call them peelers, an obvious sort of a name. They've got this little pearl and a little blemish there in the, in the outside nacre. And so the idea is these specially trained people, they remove the blemish to the point that they restore the pearl to its perfection without that blemish. Now we've got that in the kingdom of God, haven't we? They're called the oversight. Did you know that the oversight are peelers? <laughs> what did Paul say to the church at Corinth? Paul the apostle says, I want to present you as a chaste virgin under Christ. I want to present you as a perfect pearl. And when you look at what Paul said to them in 1 Corinthians, he just told them off repeatedly for all the mess-ups that were happening in the church. They were out of order with the gifts. They did so many other things wrong. And so Paul laid into them as a special peeler. And he brought them right back to the point that when he wrote his second letter, he commended the pearl of the church at Corinth for what it really was. Let's have a look in 2 Timothy in chapter 3. Let's go back to 2 Timothy in chapter 3. We're living in a world that's just full of blemishes, aren't we? We read here of the, the marks and the blemishes of the latter days, the days in which we live. Verse 1, some scriptures that we know well, but have a look at the imperfections and the blemishes. It says, Know this also that in the last days the perilous times shall come, for men shall become lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinence, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And it says even having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. A form of godliness and denying the power thereof. Now we've got a parallel here that we can use when we're talking about pearls because if they've got a form of godliness but they don't have the power of God, the spirit in their life 
They're not really a pearl of any value at all, are they? In actual fact, they're what's called imitation pearls. And there's so many out there in the world today of Christendom that are imitation pearls. What they actually do when they want to make a a pearl, man wants to make a pearl, he does it himself, like the church has changed the laws of God. And so they start off with a glass bead and they actually coat that glass bead with layers of what's called pearlescence. And that layer of pearlescence they put on layer after layer to make it look like a pearl. And in actual fact, it's made from uh, herring scales, fish scales, because they've got some light that can reflect in the natural scales that are there. And so they cover the glass with a covering but it's not the real nature. It cannot absorb and reflect the light like a real pearl that is a living gem. In actual fact, if we start to look at it, it's a bit like we read in the book of Isaiah chapter 30 in verse 1, where it says how that they, the people of this world, cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they might add sin to sin. And so here's the people of the world with their imitation pearls, and they cover with the covering, but it's not a God spirit. If we read the book of Revelation, it talks about a, a false pearl, an imitation pearl. And it's talking about a church system that rules the world at the moment. It actually calls it a scarlet woman. And it says that this woman is arrayed in purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls and having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. It's talking about a woman's system that is corrupt all the way through and is artificial. It's called Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. We're talking about a system that has resided over in Rome in the Vatican City. It's not the people, but it's the system because the church is not a real church. They're not baptized by immersion. They're not filled with the Holy Spirit. They don't receive the layer of God in their life, but they cover with a covering, but not a God spirit. They're an imitation of the real church. The real church is the pearl of great price. The one that will obey the word of God, come into the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, receive the Holy Spirit and absorb and reflect the light of God and wants to be on its own a pure living treasure for God. And so we go back to our illustration about little pearls. When they want to make up a string of pearls, they've got special groove boxes and these special groove boxes are lined and they select the pearls and they put them in the order, usually from the biggest to the smaller ones going to the outside. But they actually take each pearl and they tie a knot in the string. Then they put the next pearl and they tie a knot until they finally make up the string of pearls. Because each pearl is a gem of itself. And together it makes up a string that we would call the church. The church is people. Lively stones we read in the book of Peter. Stones with life within them that make up the building of God. That's what the church is. Let's have a look at that if we just briefly in Ephesians in chapter 4. 
Ephesians in chapter 4 and verse 13. We come together as a string of pearls and yet we're separate. We read here in verse 13 of chapter 4 of Ephesians, till we all come in the unity of the faith, brought together as one, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, under a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We come to the point where we're together, very, very valuable to God. We come together as the measure of what God wants his people to be. We come together as the church in the scriptures. Over in chapter 5 and verse 27, we read that he might present it to himself, a glorious church. This is Jesus Christ that is going to be married to the church. He wants to present the church to himself as a glorious church, having not spot nor wink, wink, I guess a wrinkle, uh, wrinkle or any such thing. But as it says here, it says, but that it, the church, the bride of Christ, the church should be with holy and without blemish. That's the church that Jesus Christ wants to be presented under him. And so we see the making up of the pearls, but then once that we've got the pearls together and we've made our special string of pearls, the church, the living stones together, they've got to be cared for. You can't just take a string of pearls, ladies, I'm sure they'll tell you fellas, and throw it into a box with all the other jewellery. It doesn't belong there. You put the pearls in there that are soft, they'd be just scratched to pieces, they'd be blemished, They've got to be put out of contact with any other jewellery. They've got to be separate. Pearls belong only with pearls, not with any other. So does the church. Let's have a look at 2 Corinthians in chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Don't join yourself together with those that are not pearls, those that don't believe the gospel message. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion has light with darkness? You can't have it. And what concord or agreement is Christ with Belial or the devil? And what part is he that believeth with a, a, an infidel or an unbeliever? And what agreement is the temple of God with idols? That you are the temple of the living God. As God saith that I will dwell in them, I will walk in them, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. You touch the unclean thing, you'll be blemished. Touch it not, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. 
Let's have a look back in chapter 4. In verse 6, I think the words explain themselves. Chapter 4 and verse 6. If you've had a look back in verse 3, it says, If our gospel be hid, is hid to them that are lost. In verse 4, that the God of this world has blinded their minds of them that believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. And that's the trouble with man. If we don't show the light of the gospel, then it's not going to be having any effect in the world because the devil is out there and he wants to tarnish anyone, even that one that is a pearl that's precious before God because he doesn't want the image of God to shine forth in their lives. And we read in verse 6, it says, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And that's what we need to show in our life. We've got this treasure of God's spirit within our earthly bodies. And we have to show that excellency of the power of how that God works in our lives. Another little interesting point is that cultured pearls, when they grow them, are put into a cage with other oysters that have been given the seed of the culture of uh, the mother of pearl, and they keep them in the cage to protect them so that no predators get to the precious pearls. And, of course, that also is the church. But just a thought or two to finish as we put this together in Matthew chapter 7 brings out another important point. Matthew chapter 7 and uh, verse 6. It says, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, the unbeliever. And neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them, the pearls, under their feet, and they turn again and they rend you. If you cast your pearls before unbelievers, they'll do everything they can to trample that pearl under their feet and make it of no value whatsoever at all. The book of Proverbs says in chapter 23, Speak not in the ears of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of thy words. It actually means that if you have a person that you're trying to speak to that is a self-confident fool, because they think they're all right the way they are, they will actually despise the godly wisdom that you want to speak to them about. In actual fact, that is in the margin of my Bible saying casting pearls before swine we've got to go out into the world and preach the light of the gospel to them that will hear it it is foolish to put the Christian message before men who refuse to appreciate it because that is casting pearls before swine let's just finish in Revelation chapter 21 Revelation 21 
And we'll start in verse 1, a couple of verses here, and it says, I knew, saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I saw the, the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven, or coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride for her husband. And then verse 21, it says, And the twelve gates, and this is the New Jerusalem, were twelve pearls, and every several gate was one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple there, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and kings of the earth to bring glory and honour unto it. And the gates shall not be shut at all by day, and there shall be no light there, night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honour of the nations into it, and they shall in no wise enter into any that is defileth, neither whosoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they are written in the Lamb's book of life. They are they that are in the church, that are kept aside as living gems. They belong to God as his special treasure. And all the people said...